Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. If you have specific questions or concerns, we encourage you to consult a health professional in your local area. From Changelog Media, this is Brain Science, a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and what it means to be human. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to transform our lives? I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Dr. Marielle Reese. Mental health seems to be a really predominant focus in our world today. And yet it's interesting because I'm I'm not sure that everybody has a clear concept of what we're actually talking about or what is encompassed within mental health. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I, I personally have questions about it. So I can only imagine that if I represent a, a fraction of the world, then it's got to be true for them, too, because I think mental health is this where we throw around. And it, it makes sense, too, because we all have some sort of, you know, perceived or whatever uh, mental status about ourselves, like our positive thoughts or whatever. But I don't think that everyone really gets the clinical version of when we talk about mental health, what it involves and what it takes to create healthy mental health. Yeah. And and I think that when we talk about things, right, one of the things that's important throughout the show is being able to develop a language, right? Mm-hmm. Like you guys have so many different systems within your world that are all different languages, right? And so mental health, I want us to conceptualize in the idea of a system. And that being said, systems aren't static, right? They're always in flux. And so just like we talk about our physical health, our mental health is a fluctuation of multiple systems within our bodies. That being said, I want to delineate the difference between even our, our brain versus mentality. So mental health is really this interplay between the physiological mechanisms within our body, our brain, as well as the interplay with the environment and our thoughts. So it's kind of all of the workings coming together, dare I say. So when you say that, you're not saying mental health isn't a healthy brain. No. Mental health is the mind inside of our brain that is this interplay between the physical organ and, you know, all the memory systems, whatever it is that creates this thing we call our mind. Right. And so our our health, when we tag on health, right, that's even different like we're looking at wellness, like how can we optimize, so to speak, the way in which our systems of our brain make sense of our world, our relationships, all of these different factors. Mentality is like the way in which we think about things. Mm-hmm. So how do I make sense of the way in which my my brain organizes information and creates output in order to do my world, my day. You've said before uh, this idea of a symphony, and 
is it like that where, you know, you've got physical attributes, you've got other things that sort of contribute to this perception of mental health, this perception of happiness or this perception of just healthy behaviors? Maybe even those are societal things where they're more like society says this is healthy or whatever yeah. kind of thing. Like there's different systems that sort of incorporate the ability for the symphony to sound good. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And that just like when we're looking at physical health, I mean, think about the way in which our understanding of nutrition has changed over the years. And is it the same today, even as it was six months ago or four years ago? No. Yeah. it's It changes drastically. Fats are bad. Fats are good. You know, it's like... <laughs> Right. You almost feel like you're on this uh, this yo-yo system and nobody really understands, but it's in the name of progress, I suppose, right? And then you also have to have good research to prove your hypothesis about nutrition or different things. But yeah, it's it's always in flux. Right. So this notion of symphony is very much there's different sections and there's woodwind, there's percussion. And so if one aspect of the symphony isn't working well, it's going to modify the sound. So that isn't good or bad per se, it just is. And then you wanna look at how do I problem solve around that? Because we as people, as human beings are never gonna work the same if we amputate an aspect of that symphony. Right. So when I'm talking mental health, I think it's important to look at what are what are some of the fundamentals or basics that make a difference. And I might say sort of the fundamental system that we want to start with whenever we're examining our mental health. And some of those fundamentals, ironically, are, are really start with managing our body from a physical perspective. Because, you know, stress is something that is a part of life, right? In the yeah. same way, I wouldn't expect to go into the ocean and never get wet. So it is. <laughs> yeah, with... Good with luck. <laughs> Not getting wet if you go in the ocean. <laughs> that stress is a part of our day-to-day -day world. And so I can't imagine doing my life without things that I encounter that create stress in some form or fashion. Like there, there are fundamentals in going, loss is a part of our life. So... I can't imagine that I wouldn't do my life, the choices I make, the way in which I live, how I relate to other people, if I don't consider that loss is going to be a part of that. So I have to figure out how to navigate that and not, you know, oppose that and work against it. So I'm looking at the, these fundamentals physically as sleep, food, and activity. Mm -hmm. And so... Because we are all unique, is this going to look the same for any individual? Yeah. Well, you wouldn't think that it would be that simple, right? That that um, some key ingredients for mental health being as simple as sleeping well, eating right, or just eating, you know, healthy-ish. You know, not even so so much like on a diet or whatever, right. but having a lifestyle of maintaining health through food. And then this notion of activity, because so many people abandon, you know, a couple of these at any given moment through series, through seasons of their life. You know, let's say someone's on a speaking circuit and they've got to travel quite a bit for a quarter of the of the year. Well, their sleep probably goes down, their activity goes in haywire, their routines and all that stuff get off off track. And you wonder why you hit this this state of burnout or this stage of 
just inability to do the day-to-day as easily as you had been able to beforehand? Well, it's because you've really taxed all of your core systems. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's helpful maybe if we talk about these things in terms of knowns and unknowns. There are generally things that are going to work for all people, all mm-hmm. humans, regardless. And then there's specifics, those unknowns that are relative to individuals. Right. So their their experiences in life, you know, you, you mentioned loss before, whether or not they've lost a parent or a loved one. Right. Unique things that happen in individual lives. Yeah, like somebody's health, if they have type 1 diabetes, is going to look incredibly different for somebody who does not. Yeah, because they have a daily anxiety that they've got to deal with constantly. Like It it doesn't leave them. Right, and then I can even create a further nuance with type 1 diabetes is going to look incredibly different than somebody with type 2 diabetes. Right. So bear that in mind as we we talk about this that they're they're generally speaking these knowns and then these unknowns or individual specificities within that so are you saying that sleep food and activity are these known knowns yep okay yep that sleep one of the things we know is that generally speaking we are all going to fare better with at least 7 hours of sleep And if you want to do better, eight (laughs) hours is even better than seven. Yes. So, right, based on different backgrounds, experiences, it might be that you can function with three or four hours or five or six. But generally speaking, seven hours is the optimal, minimal level Mm -hmm. of sleep. And the reason that is, is that during sleep is when our, our bodies recharge. It's sort of like defragging. <laughs> I got to like get rid of all the extraneous things. I have to sort and filter because our brains want to always minimize how much energy we're expending. So if I don't have time to rest, that my brain can sort. Imagine, I, I think in pictures so often, but imagine that our brain is very much like a post office. And so sleep is like the time in which it sorts all the packages. Right. Yeah. Where do things go? Is this one important? How urgent is this? Can this back off? Which is why when we're stressed or we have other sort of thoughts, we have trouble sleeping because we're not really sure that we can rest and relax and allow that to happen. That's interesting too. I mean, we don't even think, I would say everyday individuals probably do not consider what exactly happens when we sleep. You know, not so much as saying, okay, great, you got to get seven hours or eight hours or whatever the number is, you know, as a prescription, go ahead and go do this and whatever. I think sometimes actually breaking down what happens when you sleep. Do you understand that part of it yet? Or do you, do you know much about the things that get repaired and whatnot when you sleep? Not in specificity. I mean, like everything, right? There's so many like specialists to look at just this one aspect of our physical bodies. Right. So, but, you know... I want to say it was Malcolm Gladwell, and I'm forgetting exactly which book he talks about this, but the law of 10,000 hours and the research, right? If you want to be an expert at anything, you need to spend 10 years or 10,000 hours. But there are sub-studies even within those which talk about the athletes who slept eight hours over seven hours, that they were even at that most upper echelon of the expert category. Wow. Like athletes really know this. If they want to do better, they're going to sleep more <laughs> because it allows your muscles to repair. Like even in exercise, 
right? You, what happens when we're building muscle is, ironically, we create small tears in the muscle fibers. So there has to be time for the repair to occur. And if I don't rest, which is why I need to have a sort of rhythm of rest amidst my life in order for all the repairs to take place. Yeah, that's actually a great point because when we sleep, um, that's when people often often even burn a lot of fat too. There's a lot of fat burning. There's a lot of uh, digestive things happening at sleep. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of things like you'd mentioned in muscle repair, et cetera. And, you know, I don't know why our brains need to sleep, why our bodies need to sleep, but for whatever reason, it does significantly contribute to our physical health and our mental health. And something I learned several years ago, I heard somebody on the stage say, work eight, play eight, and sleep eight. And so while I may not succeed every day at that, that's my goal. That's what I'm optimizing for. And I'm terribly doing one of those right now, which is sleep. So I, I've got, I, I'm, I'm in a cycle right now where sleep is, uh, I get it, but it's not perfect right now. And I realize how that's taxing on me too. It's my, but my, my optimization is I want to work eight, I want to play eight, and I want to sleep eight. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important, Adam. And when we're talking about these these different things, there's always this sort of ideal to aspire to. Mm -hmm. And that it, it doesn't mean that's where you're going to get, but that's your goalpost. And to it, it's not an all or nothing, like either I hit it or I don't, but rather I just want to work towards and always be trying to get to, you know, my best self. Right. It's my and, North Star. Yeah. It's the, it's the way in which I point my boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yes. I, I may be off a degree or two sometimes or maybe mm -hmm. way off. Right. But I know I'm always looking at it and that's the direction I'm trying to go. And when I'm off that, uh, I'll, I'll just sort of sidebar this for a second. When I'm off that, I sort of say, is this a seasonal thing? Right. Can I get off of this North Star focus for two or three weeks mm -hmm. because of a reason? And give myself right. a window where I forgive myself for being off and having this focus and I realize it's just for a season. And I and I do my best to put some constraints on myself and not let it go beyond a certain measure. And then I got to pull back and start to create margin and push back and say no to things, et cetera, mm -hmm. so that I get back to my North Star. I, I always keep it in my frame of reference. Right. But I may allow myself to deviate a little bit for certain reasons. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought up that caveat because we're all going to encounter those. I mean, I can attest to that, you know, postpartum after having children with there was a time where sleep was definitely not what I wanted it to be. And I made different choices as a result of that because I knew it wouldn't last forever. But really holding on to the reasoning why. Mm. And and I want to say like your will, your choices really play a critical role in that trajectory to say, this is important to me and this is why for right now I'm doing this so that you're riding driver's seat. You're not letting. It's really easy in our lives with all of the intrusions to just default to sort of <laughs> whack-a-mole, like whatever thing comes up, like I just practiced that whack-a-mole game, like that's most important, that's most important. Right. And so I'm never really directing my life. And I, I tend to tell my patients a lot, like, we always fare better when we participate in the choice. So I think we want to believe or imagine that so much more of life is like forced choice. Like, I don't have a choice in regards to taxes. Well, you actually do. Yeah. <laughs> you might not like your options. It looks like you pay them or you go to prison. 
but it's a choice nonetheless. And so recognizing I'm choosing to sacrifice sleep for this season in time because of a greater good or other alternative goal. Mm -hmm. I just can't run that play indefinitely. Yeah. I mean, and that reminds me too, I also give myself some forgiveness uh, with the food aspect whenever I'm on vacation. Yes. So often do we take vacations and I'm always pretty critical and I'm always trying to maintain, you know, some sort of healthy uh, food direction, similar to my North Star with, you know, work eight, play eight, sleep eight. I try to say, you know, I want to eat healthy. It's okay to have a bad day, but get back on the track, you know, and, and it's, it's not a, I'm not a failure because I didn't do well this day, but so often do I uh, attempt to go into a vacation with some sort of plan of maintaining my healthy eating. And by day four, I'm like, you know what? Let me give myself at least a break because, I mean, I, I deserve it, right? Yeah, but that, you're exactly right. So that's the second key thing when it comes to the physical aspect of managing our mental health is food. We Food provides us energy. And so in the same way, if I don't put gas in my car, I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Right. So it is that I have no energy input to provide output. And our brains need food and fuel. Yeah. It, you know, we've talked about much of sort of our template comes from having kids and raising kids. And, you know, I talk with my kids a lot about food that they want to eat. And I'm like, that gives you no energy. Like your brain has no idea how to compute that food into energy because it has no, like Cheez-Its, like while they may be incredibly yummy to my children, they don't actually give them fuel. What? They don't? (laughs) <laughs> Come on. So what yeah. okay, so let's let's dive in a little closer then. What what foods do you know of that particularly enhance brain function? Well, we know that fats and proteins are really critical. Carbohydrates are as well, but there's, you know, if you look at the four basic things, you've got protein, carbohydrates, fats, and fiber right. are what we're looking at. And this Within that, it's going to look different for all people as well. Yeah, it's true. Because gene- who's got the same genetics? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> We're all uniquely Nobody. different DNA-wise for sure. Right. And so, you know, for whatever reason, I'm aware of a number of people who have had their gallbladder removed. So their bodies aren't going to process fat in the same way in which it once did. And so their diet is going to look different than somebody with another health issue or somebody else who has, you know, all of that. There, there's the health issues, but then there's also health preferences. Like not everybody likes to eat the same thing and that plant-based diets, you know, are really important. Like we want to eat our greens because those provide vitamins, nutrients. Right. Like you come here to Texas, you're going to get barbecue. You go somewhere in Alabama, Mississippi, you know, uh, Louisiana in particular, mm-hmm. they got they have a entire cuisine just based yep. on Creole. And you go into Alabama and you got, you know, Southern fried foods, South Carolina, Southern fried foods. You try to take their Southern fried foods away from them. I dare you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not going to happen. Like they're, it's part of their culture. It's part of their, their makeup. It's part of their heritage even, you know. Right. Well, and so with that, like, there's always caveats, like not all fats are created equal and that, you know, sugar is really more of a thing that's involved with fats, like eating walnuts or pecans, which are high in fat, are not the same as eating Reese's peanut butter cups as much as I might like that Mm -hmm. to be. Yes. (laughs) 
but that recognizing different foods provide different nutrients and that since our health is never a set point, it means I'm never going to have to stop managing health. So this is a forever gig wherein I'm trying to look for ways in which my body can optimize in terms of whatever I'm doing. Like, again, if you have a very physically laborious job, it's going to look very different than somebody has a very cognitive demanding job. Yeah. Right. I mean, we've talked about this in the past in terms of different nutritional sort of ways in which we've bent. And I noticed a significant difference when I did a higher fat, higher protein diet because I do have a very cognitive demanding job as well, ironically, emotionally, because I'm holding all of this energy throughout my days with individuals that I work with. And so I would tend to dip around two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And then by the time I was done at five o'clock, like I was totally wasted. I had zero energy and it would literally take me nearly an hour to sort of get my brain back online after expending and exchanging all of that energy. And when I went to this modified diet, I discovered that I didn't dip and I didn't then dive and need an hour recovery. Like I can actually shift into whatever I need to now immediately. But I know that isn't going to fit for all people. And so what I want to offer is food is at the forefront, but the way in which you do the food is going to be discovered as your investigation and the way in which you're willing to practice new things. I like this, uh, the fact that you mentioned that it's something you manage kind of forever, right? Yeah. Because it, it, it kind of just reminds you that Similar to my story of the North Star, you know, my my optimization, what I'm optimizing for, similar in in that way that you've got to you've always got to keep your your mind, your direction on this particular thing, whether it's sleep, whether it's food, whether it's your activity, which we haven't gotten to yet. But these three things being key ingredients that you have to manage and maintain for your entire life to have a healthier or a healthy life, you know, whether it's mental, physical, whatever, inner interpersonal. All those things right. play on those kind of three core things. So if our mental health is hung on, you know, sleep, food, and activity, and there's many more layers beneath that, if that's what hangs on that, then that means that society itself, the fabric of society, depends on those three key things. Yeah, it it does. And so, so many things are systems. Like in the same way, my car won't run if I don't have oil right? or I don't have water or I don't have tires, God forbid. (laughs) There are (laughs) just a little bit. And so these are going to look different in terms of how we manage them at different ages and stages in our life, but the value is always present. And so you know, when we go about our lives, I think it's important to imagine we have different filters through which we see our world. And so putting on this filter of what does it look like to manage myself as based on my genetics, my background, my experiences, and the specificities relative to me. Yeah. And that just like we've talked in previous episodes about your discovery with, you know, mountain biking. Right. And that that was so huge for you. That activity, finding out your buy-in to do something so that you could move, that's the other key thing when we're talking about managing our bodies and our mental health. 
is we have to move. I've got good friends who love CrossFit. I've got good friends who love to rock climb, even the fake kind in the gym. And I dig that. <laughs> That's fun. But it's not something I can do on repeat. You know, for right. me, I had to find an activity that was both fun, engaging, and then also taxing physically to progress and just to maintain. And everybody's going to have a different version of that for themselves. Right. And so I wonder if it's helpful for our listeners to think about this in terms of rhythms. Like you mentioned, the 888. Right. That everybody's going to have a little bit different rhythm at different times, but the components that you're going to need are sleep, food, and motion right. or act- activity because there's all of this sort of bartering, like output, input, output, input. And if I don't allow for you know, my body to sleep, my brain to sleep, and if I don't input food to provide energy and I don't discharge the negative energy, my mental health, my whole health is going to fare differently. Yeah, um, It's interesting because in working with people with mental health disorders, um, anxiety, one of the best things that, that people can do when they wrestle with anxiety, ironically, is actually move more. Mm. <laughs> because anxiety as an emotion, it's energy. So instead of trying to squelch or squash it, I want to move it. I want to barter. It's like, I'll give you two, you give me four. Yeah. I like the idea. I think we've talked about it. It may actually appear on an episode. We talked about it like a lightning strike, right? It's got to go somewhere. It's going to come down from the sky. It's going to hit something that it contacts with here on earth. And then it's going to continue like an electrical charge. It has to go from emotions are energy and they have to go somewhere. I believe we said somewhere. And is it similar to that? Yeah, because there's all of these, again, physiological processes that occur when we move. And so getting your heart rate up, moving your body, it doesn't matter what movement that is, you just want an exchange rate. So in the same way, I'm going to go to different countries and everybody utilizes a different monetary system, there's an exchange rate. And so if there was no exchange rate, what would you do? (laughs) So is your prescription then for anybody who is listening to this and has even light levels of anxiety, maybe even terrible levels of anxiety, that one easy prescription is move. Move. And find find something that is your good movement. You know, and it might be right. mountain biking. And if so, reach out to me and say hello. If if it's CrossFit, don't talk to me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, say, for example, you have a very stressful, high pressured, you know, I, I don't know. I think like stockbroker, yeah. right? Sort of position that maybe you don't want a super high energy kickboxing, shouting at you sort of activity that maybe it looks like yoga, maybe it looks like walking, (laughs) maybe it looks like, you know, kayaking or something that has a much slower rhythm or pace to it because it feels too similar to your daily activities. I got one for you. How about this? What if you took a walk with your good friend, your mother, your dad, your wife, your husband, whatever, your kids, and combined this necessary thing for your daily life and attach that to relationships. Yeah. Well, this actually connects in to the next thing I want to talk about in regards to managing our mental health. And that looks like both relationships and boundaries. And so I had a friend who 
is an amazing individual. And so a lot of people wanted her time and words and energy. And she was just becoming fatigued as a result of this. And so she started making it a sort of caveat to interact with her that she wouldn't meet people for coffee anymore, but rather it looked like going on a walk. Like you can join me between X time and we can walk. And it was amazing how just setting that boundary and changing the nature of the relationship. Yeah it really reduced how many people <laughs> joined her. Right. And so relationships are another key component of doing our mental system well. I like how she combined both, both boundaries as well as relationships, because sure, we we have boxes, for lack of better terms, around us. Constraints, boundaries, whatever, how you want to frame it. And in, in some cases, we actually contribute, as you said before, to the choice, to the design of those boxes. And in some ways, those are societal and, you know, sort of forced upon us based upon where we're at in time and history and, and geography. And some of that is actually manufactured by us, by our choices. But I mm -hmm. think it's important to recognize that box is there, but also to recognize that you can modify that box. The, and in the same case with her, like, sure, I want to meet with people. And that's positive for my career, for my mental health, for whatever it is she's doing. But also, like, I've also got to get this too. So how can I combine the two of them? That's that's a uh, that's genius, actually. I <laughs> right. <love it. laughs> yeah, because it just sort of controls the flow a little bit more, and it it really offers to other people like how much effort do you want to put forth? How important is this? Because it's it's easy to just sit and have a cup of coffee right. or have a conversation, but do you want to actually expend energy or meet me where? I'm at in order to have this interaction. And so, you know, one of the things that I've been incredibly cognizant of in working with people is when resentments come in, that resentment, imagine that it's an indicator light to say, I gave what I actually didn't have to give. Mm. And so in re both relationship and our boundaries, our limits to say, look, I worked really hard to give you this gift. To, to give you my time, to give you my words, to give you my energy, and you don't know the cost that I, that that was for me. And so now I'm angry with you and resentful for to you because you don't recognize the value of the gift I gave you. Yeah. But instead of it really being a shame on the other person, it's a, it should be a light bulb for ourselves to go, oh, I didn't have that energy to give. And so I have to be more deliberate and intentional about what I give to others in terms of my time and energy and initiative, because it's not on them to manage my input, my output, but it's my job. And yeah. so to recognize that and go, I think I need to consider that. And really, it looks like if I get nothing back, if I give this to you and I get no money back, emotionally, either literally or figuratively, I I shouldn't give it. Mm. How often does that happen to you? I mean, I, I don't know how often I hold resentment, but I can recall recently having a conversation with my daughter uh, about value, um, that this thing was in this condition because I was going to let her use it. And it, it was it was in this condition when I gave it to you. So you're a child and you don't really understand the value of things and what it took me to get this in the first place. And the fact that it's 
seven years old and still looks this nice is because I take care of my things. And so I hold a certain value to that. And I have to somehow transfer that value to her so that she can respect the item as well as I had and treat it well to, so that it has the same lifespan after, after the gift, you know, after giving it to her, for example. Sure. Well, and so I would say to some degree, it looks different with kids than it does adults yeah. in our relationships because I would say kids are still cooking. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. They are still very much in process. And so um, I want to give them opportunities to grow and learn. Yes. However, with boundaries, the, and ironically, boundaries for kids, teenagers, you know, preschoolers, school kids all need boundaries in order to actually do themselves in their lives well. And and they need us to help them figure those out. And so one of the ways I would talk about this or, or explain is like, I don't intentionally give my kids certain things that I'm not okay if they literally wreck. Mm. Like I am not. <laughs> if You're getting when upset. My, <laughs> you get upset. <laughs> well, no, okay. but I think this is huge because my, my husband has a very powerful car. He's, he's a car guy. Right. And I say if... I give my 16-year-old son a Ferrari and he crashes it. That is not his fault to some degree because he has no idea the power that that car has. And so as his parent, it's my job to go, look, one, his frontal lobe is definitely not fully cooked. He's got dopamine in his brain that works like an adult. So he has a full-on gas pedal with no frontal lobe to break it. Right. And so I, as his parent and his dad and I together, need to say, that's not wise. It doesn't mean he can't, but like, really, it's just not prudent. It's not considerate of him being where he's at. Yeah. That is different than adult, wherein I would say I would create clarity around the expectation to go, hey, I'm go- this is a loan versus this is a gift versus this is a gift for three weeks Versus this, there's all those caveats and nuances. So you wouldn't imagine taking a job if somebody says, hey, I want you to come to work. When should I be there? (laughs) Yeah. And and you don't know. How much will will you be paid? (laughs) What work will I be doing? (laughs) Who will I be working with? I can keep going. Anyways, I'll stop. (laughs) But all of those things are relevant because they are incredibly particular to you. Right. In light of your North Star, in light of your relationships, in light of what you have to give. I mean, I would offer that one of the best experiences I ever had as a professional was when I worked in brain injury and I did job coaching for um, people of all different levels of skill and um, education. And so we're talking everybody from, you know, a store clerk at Target or, you know, fast food drive through to like engineers, attorneys, et cetera, that my job after they sustained an injury was actually to help them troubleshoot live on the job. And so basically I would go and learn their job and then teach them troubleshooting strategies for whatever was wrong with their brain. Mm, the ultimate version of empathy, <laughs> right? Yeah, you, put and their, so- you put yourself in their shoes and kind of gave them prescriptions on how to do what they do. Exactly. So that whatever way in which their brain wasn't working correctly, we could sort of hiccup around it. And that really highlighted the vast degree of 
humanity and what we're capable of. And so what was hard for one person or what was a, a boundary for one person wasn't for another. And that was so good. It really helped me see the beauty of how varied we are as people. And that like, I don't think I've ever looked at going to get groceries the same way because I know what it looks like to stock shelves. Yeah. And when you put it back, you put it back with a label out on the edge, (laughs) stacked neatly. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, you're almost like it's almost even when you go to the the restaurant, you're almost sort of self preparing for the 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 the, the server to take the plates away or whatever it might be. You know, you're sort of what they call that pre-bussing. We often do that a lot, me and my wife, because we've both been servers in our life. Oh, my word. Yes, because you know what that is. And so. somebody who is in that job doing that role is going to look different in terms of managing their mental health than say you or I in our jobs and what we're doing. I mean, I have an incredibly social job, Mm -hmm. but that is incredibly isolating. Yes, because you have so many people inputting and zero output of their stuff because, hey, that's illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. And so I'm holding all of this energy. And so I have to barter in a way that doesn't look like how the input came in. Yeah. So understanding that this will look different for all people. And I want really want to cultivate respect around that and empathy, too, because what fits for you won't fit for me. And hallelujah, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because this is the way in which the world works. And so when we're managing our mental health, you are an N of one. So here's fundamentals, here's the knowns, but the unknown is always through the filter of you. Yeah, your particular experiences, who you associate with, the relationships you've fostered, you know, different skills you've picked up along the way on on managing, you know, sleep, food, activity. Yes, and so with that, when we're talking boundaries, I wanna think of it in terms of constraints. And that constraints are a really good thing for for my world because I'm very much in the line of fire and I'm on the front lines. I say I can't be a first responder in all ways. Right. So where I'd like to give to other people and like I, I've always said I want to get paid to hang out with people and drink coffee, <laughs> which is ironically so much of what I do because I care about other people and I want, I'm fascinated by humanity. And so I want to hear the individual stories, but then I want to help and I want to problem solve and I want to go, have you looked at this and what about that? And I can't do that in all facets of my life because I will have no energy left. Yeah. You just made me realize probably how important this podcast is for your output because you you hold so much in you can generalize a lot of your experiences uh, as a psychologist and obviously not reference names so it's anonymized whatever you're you're speaking of these are your experiences as a therapist you know that it this is an outlet for you to to output so that's that's cool I didn't really consider it like that for you I never even considered it in that way either. But you're right, because I think I see these ways in which, you know, they're broad strokes that are applicable to all humans. And I want people to, one, join in the social fabric to go, do you know what? You get to be human, too. Oh, and you are, too. (laughs) And you and I aren't going to look the same. I mean, 
I can talk about things in terms of gender or sort of expectations as being um, a female, a wife, and a mom, and what those look like. But they're not going to look like my my friends or my patients because there's all. I'm like nobody else has my husband. Right. So I know. <laughs> so we hope. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but- if we go back to the idea that DNA is unique, then we are all unique. And if our lives, if even if our sleep patterns and our food patterns and our activity patterns and our relationships and our boundaries are all different, we're all going to have a different life experience. Yep. And that perspective is, is crucial. And I would say it's it's really what contributes to the beauty. When you think about the sounds that you love to hear and the people that you want to interface with, it's really in the way in which we're different because I can learn something from someone else and I had no idea, you know, that this was true or other people like this or do that. And when we can respect that, it, it just creates this gorgeous harmony But what we have to lead with when we're managing our mental health is really this sense of empathy and respect that, like, I don't need another one of me. Mm -hmm. I need another every individual. Like, everybody in this world is here for a reason. And, like, I want to take delight in the way in which that creates a symphony. Yeah. Both within ourselves. Diversity, not conformity. Yes. Yep. And so... The next thing I want to talk about with this, we've talked about the the physical aspects when it comes to managing our mental health, but I want to talk about specifically now, there's a key piece and that involves the cognitive part. And because we're talking about being individuals and we all have different DNA, there's a difference between our brains and our minds. Okay. So when I'm talking mental health, I'm talking about the way in which the physiological mechanisms of our brain and our bodies that our mind actually operates and put that together. So it gets sort of muddled and, you know, nuanced, dare I say, when we start talking about this, because the, like, insight, for example, our brain's ability to have insight of or awareness around things is actually a cognitive function. And so it's a part of my frontal lobe function. Mm-hmm. But I can't just say it's one like little part in the brain that does it. It's really a cacophony of systems that work together yeah. that create my ability to see in terms of my mind's eye. Does that make sense? Right. You have insight about insight, essentially. Awareness about awareness. Right. And so. It's almost chicken and at, egg. Yeah. That's what yeah, it really yeah, gets yeah. to when we talk about our minds. Is like, that's why it gets so difficult to describe even because like, okay, what well, requires the organ, but the organ isn't the mind. It's the interplay within the organ. Yes. Which is just really hard. I mean, even neuroscientists have a hard time describing it. Well, because it's so complex and it's systemic and it's always changing yeah. the more that we know. I mean, it's just like we know that our the way in which our lifestyle is changing, like with technology, that our brains are changing. Yeah. But we don't know how. I can tell you that attention span is less, far less than what it was. You mean as you get older? No, that as a, with technology and with all of the distractions of our world, oh. because there's so many pop-ups. I mean, imagine just like your computer has, you know, 12 file tabs open simultaneously. Well, I think it's this uh, aspect of conditioning, which you've mentioned before. Like if you're conditioned to ignore 
50 things in a day in today's world. Right. Whereas maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, you only had to ignore or discard things five times. Mm -hmm. So if you've, you know, put a multiplier on your, on the ignorance level of something every day, then that's going to contribute to you being more conditioned to ignore something or right. just this aspect of like, you know, because, you know, ignoring something is sort of an attention span mechanism, right? You, you want to pay attention to it or you don't. Well, I re it's like a decision. Right. I have to actually, if attention, there, there's so much to this. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a whole different podcast. Let's, let's give a sliver of it though. Okay. So, well, attention, there's all different kinds of attention. So there's sustained attention, divided attention, and then even shifting attention. And so all of these things play a role. But one of the things we know is like email, for example. Researchers have looked at this and they say, you know, you it's not really helpful to look at your email first thing in the morning because you it ends up putting you more on the defense, so to speak, that you are reacting to your day instead of planning out and deciding mm. where you want to go every day. And so for people to, I, I really want people to take home this sense of being in the driver's seat. And I want people to practice choosing with a deliberate or intentional way of where they want to go as based on who they are and what they want. I, I do think this is cognitive aspects like how our our minds make sense of our world are very much this interplay of our background as well as our environment. Mm. And I often tell patients it's not the eyes that see and it's not the ears that hear. It's how our minds make sense of that information. And so I can say sort of I have a sense of what starvation looks like, but I have never been to Africa. And so my perspective, the way in which my mind makes sense of starvation is removed, is distant. It's only in book form or video form or some distant. And so that's going to look very different than somebody who's actually experienced starvation. Mm, yeah. Everybody's experiences are different. And how we see our world is based on those experiences. Mm -hmm. And so my perception of something in your, and we've said this before, but my perception of it and your perception of it is going to be similar sometimes if we're in the same scenario, but, but also very different. And that plays a role in how we feel about these different things we're dealing with. Right. And so going back to insight, that that is really a key part when it comes to managing our mental health and I have to be considerate around my background individually in terms of not only where I'm from, but like my biology, my DNA, as well as my experiences and the way in which they have shaped yeah. how my mind takes in the information. I had to Google this real quick just because I wanted to make sure that I had a uh, dictionary-ish version of insight so what that what defines insight and so if i understand correctly insight in the capacity we're talking about it is the capacity to and this is them saying it not me the capacity to gain an accurate or deep intuitive understanding of a person or a thing and so to have insight is this whole separate thing where it's like you're almost discovering secrets yeah right is it kind of like that 
Yeah. Yeah. So this is ironically another part of brain injury that often gets impaired because people, their their brain, literally the physiological mechanisms don't work the same way for them to have awareness of themselves in that way. And so we all have this, that I might not see myself completely as I am. So, you know, you might interface with a person and you're like, how do they not see? Right. How can they? Come right? on. So you're watching that scary movie even. Like, why are you going up the stairs? Right. You know better than that. Right. Anyways, yeah. Or, and so. Oh, and left field and you're, you're somewhere else. But we're in the same. <laughs> yeah. But this is at the heart of relationships and why it can be so challenging to interface with other people because they literally don't either have the insight and awareness of themselves or the way in which they're interacting with another person and or hearing exactly what the other person is saying. Mm-hmm. And so it's hysterical to some degree having children and watching this live and hearing like one of my kids will get upset with the other because they're like, you said I didn't like chocolate. And they're like, that's not what I said. Like, because one was talking about a chocolate chip muffin. And then he had to explain the way in which the chunks hurt his teeth. And he didn't want the chocolate chip muffin, not that he doesn't like chocolate. Wow. This sounds like something you've actually experienced. (laughs) Yes. But this is all of us in different ways to different degrees all the time. And so if we don't hold a certain degree of awareness of ourselves and what's going on and how we see things, it is invariably going to affect the way in which we make sense of our world and do our relationships with others and vicariously manage our own mental health. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Brain Science. If you haven't yet, please join us on this journey. We have so much to explore. Subscribe to this podcast at changelaw.com slash brain science. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Overcast and anywhere else you can get podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Brain Science FM. You can also join our Slack community. It's free to join. Talk about all things brain science with me, Marielle, and the rest of the community. And if you have topics or suggestions for the show, we want to hear them. Email us, editors at changelaw.com. Huge thanks to our partners, Fastly, Rollbar, and Linode. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our beats. And last but not least, if you want to hear more shows like this, subscribe to our master feed to get all of our podcasts. Head to changelaw.com slash master or go into your podcast app and search for Changelaw Master. You'll find it. It's one feed to rule them all. Get all of our shows plus some extras that only hit the master feed. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again soon. Thank you.